This is episode 8 with Brian Remo, the relationship expert. Teamwork from Zero Dean. Teamwork sits alongside trust, communication, and tolerance as a building block of the best relationships. Teamwork is not, what can I get out of this relationship? It's, what can I bring to this relationship to make it better? Teamwork is the combined commitment to overcome obstacles. It's support. It's encouragement. It's working together. It's rising to the challenge of bettering yourself for the benefit of the whole. It's providing the supporting encouragement necessary to help others better themselves and succeed in their endeavors. Now let's dive into this episode. All right, I just want to welcome Brian Remo, relationship expert, to this uh, episode. Uh, thanks for joining us on, on, on this uh, podcast today. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you. We'll get straight into it, Annette. If you just uh, let us know what, what is the actual title that, that, that you run as, Annette, as, as the therapist. Yeah, so there are a lot of acronyms these days, yeah. right? So um, LMF stands for Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist. Right, okay. And how long have you been doing uh, being an expert for, a relationship expert for? Yeah, so this is going to age me a bit, but I'm coming up on my 20th year this summer. So it's, it's been, a, been a long road, a long evolution, but uh, it's been a great journey. Yeah, right. And so what's kind of like, what, what's been your purpose or reason for that's taken you down this role or journey, as you call it? Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because when, when I grew up as a kid, I remember always being aware of my parents' relationship and trying to make sense of whether they had a good one or a bad one. And they were kind of in between. You know, it was strange. I, I, I couldn't decide whether I, I really enjoyed them as a couple, not as a parent, but as a couple, or whether I thought they were awful. <laughs> and, and I and I remember telling myself, you know, if I were to give them a grade as a couple, I'd give them a C minus. You know, and I'm like, well, what is a C minus? A C minus is not good enough to be happy, but not bad enough to leave. <laughs> so, so I realized I don't want a C minus marriage. Um, and then when I eventually got married, and I was, you know, I was studying education and psychology. Um, I got married from my first marriage a little bit prematurely, and then I I started to have those thoughts again, like, oh my God, here I go, I'm going down the road, you know, with my wife, and so I take classes and realized um, um, it takes two people to really work on a marriage for it to be an A average. And, and so no matter what efforts I was making or she was making, um, it was falling short because we weren't really working as a team. So, so really, I got into this field because I wanted something better than what my parents had. They were great people. Um, they're good parents. But, but as a couple, I just felt like um, they didn't really seem to love each other in a way that I thought couples should. Yeah, right. And so what's kind of like, uh, obviously, you, you were just talking about um, how things didn't work out with, with your own marriage and that. So how did mm. you guys get through that challenge? Oh, it's on it's ongoing, right? Um, yeah. I think whenever couples part ways, you know, nobody, nobody wants to get divorced. None of us want to be in that camp. Um, so it really requires a lot of self-reflection and, and looking at yourself and saying, you know, what could I have done different? Not so that we just get rid of our partner and say, well, I just picked wrong. I was stupid, but 
but what about me? What, what could I do different, you know, going forward so that not only can I have a healthier relationship with someone new, but that I can learn to let go and, and forgive my ex for any ways that she's wronged me and, and for her and I to really reinvent our relationship uh, in a way that's, you know, perhaps what we were supposed to be. Maybe we were just supposed to be friends and you can't reinvent your relationship if you're angry and bitter and hang on to old, old baggage. So uh, what's helped us has been just, you know, some patience, some time and some forgiveness and, and really willingness to just let go of the past. So that's been, I've been blessed to have an ex that's really worked with me. That's brilliant. And how's yeah. this, uh, how's that experience uh, for yourself and that um, influence or change your outlook in life and that or has it? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, when, when you get divorced, it kind of rocks your sense of permanency. Um, you know, we always think we're going to go to the finish line with the, the person that we meet. And so it, it initially it created a lot of fear, a lot of uncertainty, uh, uh, you know, a, a lot of um, unknowing what was going to happen with the kids. I have three kids, you know, from my first marriage. And, you know, there's just a lot of worry because you don't know whether or not um, your future is as stable as you thought it was going to be, you know, being in a, a more intact family. So um, it, it created fear. It created shame. You know, I, I, of all of my close friends, I'm the only one who's divorced. So I, you know, kind of went into a hole for a while and just felt embarrassed. Um, and then I realized uh, I'm a therapist. You know, if, if I can't figure this out, how am I going to be able to help my clients? So I kind of took something that um, felt like a weakness and turned it into a strength so that I could help my clients who are suffering the way I did. And through, through, through that journey and that we're able to get back again, you just talked about how you kind of like hit away from your friends, your, you know, your group of friends and that, how has that changed now, now that you've been able to yeah. work yourself through that? Right. Yeah. Well, one of the challenges is that you're not sure which of your friends are going to remain loyal to you or whether they're going to, you know, prefer your ex. Um, and so that, that took a bit of weeding out to try to make sense of, well, you know, I, I was friends with some of these guys going back to high school. And, and so yeah. I shouldn't have been so afraid that they were going to abandon me. But on the other hand, it, it's sad because when you get divorced, you're not just parting ways with your partner, you're parting ways with everybody that we kind of knew together. And so we've had to sort of rebuild some of those relationships. And we have, you know, I really, I really made a lot of effort to reconnect with these friends in the last, you know, several years and say, you know, one, I need you, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I'm struggling. And, and the other is, um, I don't need to be so embarrassed about it. You know, over 50% of the country is divorced. So it's not as if I'm in the small club. And, uh, you know, it, it really helps because you can't go through this alone. And men, we have a tendency to quietly suffer. You know, we, we tend not to share our feelings very, very well. So uh, I realized once I started to reach out to my friends and share how I really was feeling, then I got the support that I needed uh, along with, you know, my own therapy. So. Yeah, it's interesting you say that, you know, just obviously, you know, as a male myself and that, uh, I totally understand how we yeah. pretty much run on our own ego and then we always think that we probably don't need that help. Yeah, I can stand on my yep. own feet and that. Yep. So how, as a therapist, how have you been able to work through um, with, with a lot of the, the male counterparts? Yeah, so in terms of like other male clients coming into the office? Yeah, yeah, in terms of, yeah, yeah. as a relationship and that, have they been uh, uh, pretty hard to work with in that or yeah. are they actually you know getting the barriers down and allowing to probably be to listen more 
Sure. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. I didn't tell my father what I did for a living for six years after oh, wow. doing it because I didn't think he would approve of it. I, I, I yeah. thought he would view it as kind of a flaky profession that, that was kind of odd for a male to do. Um, and we are in the minority. There's more females that do this than men. But, but you know, he was one of the reasons I got into the field because I, I never really had the kind of conversations with him that I wanted to have. And and I knew it had to be possible because I knew there were some other, you know, young men that were talking with their fathers. So, um, yeah. so I, I've, you know, I, I've suffered in, in ways that have allowed me to realize that I get that other men don't want to come here. You know, I, I am so aware that they hate talking, that they don't want to be here. And so I, I work harder to connect with them and to really help their, their partners understand that, um, you know, men have a way of loving differently. That's yeah. not always with words. You know, we don't, words are not the only way to love. You know, we, if you've ever read the book, the five love language, it talks about having spending quality time and, and doing acts of service and, and intimacy, you know, and, 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 and really just sort of looking out for each other in ways that aren't about just having conversations. So I think what I try to do is help men know that I understand that you're not necessarily going to win a verbal battle in therapy, right? So we're <laughs> going to try to change the rules a little bit to make it more fair so that men can be better understood by their partners. There must have been a big relief for yourself um, when you finally were able to, to let it out and, and obviously have that conversation with your father. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it really was a relief. Um, you know, unfortunately, it came out in the aftermath of an argument because I right. just wanted him to know but it's, you know, it's important, I think, for us to be more transparent with the people that we care about. Um, and, and that includes clients. You know, I think sometimes clients come into to therapy and they think we don't have any issues. You know, a lot of us get into this field because we're trying to heal ourselves, right? Yeah. So when we can become a little more raw, a little more unfiltered, we can not only be honest with the people we love, like our, you know, our fathers, but also with our clients. It just makes us more human. So if you're 20 years or so of, uh, in this uh, field and that, what have you found that to be probably the most common reason for a lot of the uh, relationships that struggle? Yeah, well, there, there's, there's a lot, but I would say a few of them are that, you know, we each come into a relationship with some, some baggage, right, that, that yeah. goes back in time. And I think the hard part for people is not knowing when it began, you know, did it begin when we were, you know, seven years old and we were made fun of or when our dad took out the belt and gave us, <laughs> gave us a lashing? You know, yeah. when, when did the uh, sort of difficulty with expressing ourselves start and how does that play into a relationship? So I, I try to help people kind of dig a little bit so they can make sense of why uh, navigating through conflict is so painful for some, you know, I mean, people, people tend to be critical of each other. They can be contemptuous of each other. They can be very defensive or they can even shut down and choose silence. And we can understand why people do that. But there's a point where if you don't navigate through conflict differently, then you just keep recycling it over and over. And it just, it never ends. Right. So I think one of the problems is people have to take, take hold of what's theirs and not everything is created in a relationship some of the stuff has nothing to do with our partner so we have to separate what's ours from what's our partners and then what's kind of relational the other is we we really need to do better at listening you know everybody seems to think they're a great listener you know there's books on listening you know that might seem 
weird, but, but I remember reading a book in grad school that was 220 pages long on listening. And I was like, oh, this is the most boring book on the planet. <laughs> but but I, did, I did learn a lot. And yeah. I realized that most of us listen with a filter. We listen only when we hear something that interests us, or we listen only to comment. And we have to learn how to just hold a space for our partner, you know, and just be there and not problem solve. Men, we tend to get into trying to problem solve. And, and it really frustrates our partners because they just want to be heard. That's it. So, you know, digging up some of the baggage and then creating that space where we listen with our ears to hear, our eyes to connect, and our heart to try to experience what they're feeling. Say those are two big ones. Yeah, I suppose I can, when you're talking about conflicts and that, especially when you're trying to win a, a, a debating battle with, with or a conversation with your partner <laughs> and that, I'm certainly definitely guilty of that myself. And that sure. if you're trying to give tips out there for for partners or relationships and that how to control the anger in terms of in the moment of the heat, what, what would be the best way for, do you think, uh, in terms of practicing? Um, sure, sure. So, you know, one of the things that people have difficulty understanding is once people are angry, they tend not to manage their anger. You know, they're, they're just yeah. off and running, right? So we have to look at what leads to the anger in the first place, right? So what are the, the factors that contribute to why we even get angry and kind of work on that on the side so that we're not always reacting to our anger and saying, oh, that's just the way I am. I get pissed off at, you know, people that cut me off or, you know, or, or, you know, or, or traffic or whatever it might be. We, we have to be more mindful that if we get annoyed with traffic, we should perhaps leave an hour earlier, you know, or travel at a yeah. different time. Like we, we have to take measures to sort of mitigate that anger before it happens so that it's not about just putting out fires all the time, right? So it's kind of taking a look at what leads to the anger in the first place and managing that, not, not waiting until it happens. The other thing is um, I, I think when, when people get angry, it's because they interpret too quickly, right? So they take information and they instantly have a, a thought and it generates a feeling like that, right? So for instance, if I called you an idiot right now, you, you would probably laugh, right? Because <laughs> I, I don't mean it, right? So, but I gave you information. But what if your wife called you an idiot, right? Yeah. What if somebody that you really respect calls you an idiot? You may not laugh, right? So you'd be taking that same information and processing it totally different than if somebody that was a stranger called you that. So we have to remind ourselves that all the world gives us is information, and we're the author of that information, right? It doesn't make us mad, right? How we process it makes us mad. So we have, to, we have to give it a different meaning. And the only way to do that is to create a space between the information coming in and our reaction that gives us a few seconds to have an alternative way of responding. So you, you got to create that space, even if it's only two or three seconds. Yeah, it's, it's always difficult in that. I mean, like for myself, I've kind of like read a few books and, and listened to a few podcasts in terms of yeah. how to try and probably control your anger. And that obviously, the, probably the most simplest one that I've learned and that is about probably just taking a breath in there and just staying quiet for a little bit and that for a couple of seconds and that. And it has worked on the odd occasion that, but sometimes, yeah. you know, you let your anger or your macho get the better of you and then right. straight away, then you want to let it all out. Um, yeah. Always wanting to be the one who's always right. Right. You know, the, the, the problem with some of the behavioral interventions is it, 
it almost in a way gives you permission to be angry because it's telling you you can be angry, but you just need to take a breath so that you're not too angry. Right? Yeah. So that, and, and I think when you look at anger, generally people are angry for one of four ways. Either there was a, an injustice you know, that you're part of, um, or there was some kind of loss of control, like, you know, if somebody dies, or if your best friend moves, and you don't have control, or if you're frustrated, because you don't play rugby as well as you'd like to play, (laughs) or or if, um, you know, somebody's insulting to, you know, we, we have these four reasons. And part of it is we have to ask ourselves how to turn the volume down on all four of these. Because if you think about why should people get angry, there's some reasons that are legitimate that we should be angry. If you try to hurt me or my family, I'm going to get angry, right? Yeah. If you try to steal from me, right? Or if you lie about me and disparage my name, of course, I'm going to get angry. So we, we have to honor the normalcy of anger, but look at the other ways that we get angry and ask ourselves, do we need to really be angry about these things? You know, they're kind of little rocks, right? They're smaller. <laughs> and allow ourselves the freedom to be angry about the things that really matter and to only be annoyed or irritated with the smaller things. I think sometimes people get angry at the small things. That's the bigger problem. <laughs> Not that you're angry at big things. You kind of should be. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's... Yeah. Yeah, I think so. We touched on before about um, obviously not not just males and they're being um, not great listeners in there, but they're also you're not going to always get relationships or couples who want to actually come in and get professional help, you know, and see therapists in there. So right. when you've got mm-hmm. people who are like that and 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 obviously outside of here and that, what would your 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 tip or or advice be best for them, and that's where to start in terms of trying to heal or trying to uh, create a better relationship. Yeah. Right, right. So so whenever you have um, couples come in, the the first thing that I always assess is are they both here willingly, or is one person dragging the other one in? Right, because when you have one person that wants to be there and the other person that has their tail between their legs and they're reluctantly there. Um, you're, you're already starting off in a position where um, there's resistance, right? So, so clients who are both on board always do better because they're, they're willing, right? Like willingness is one of the most important words yeah. in this field because it means you're both on board. You may not know what to do, but at least you're both willing, right? So, so I try to gauge that and then ask people, you know, are, are, you, are you willing to do anything outside of this office? Because in the office, it's not magic, it's insight. You know, we create really good ideas, but then you have to connect the dots at home. So if, if you don't take something that you learn in here and do something about it in the other 167 hours in your week, right, then, then it becomes, well, what's the point? You know, we're not here just to have a good conversation. You know, we're, we're here to make change. So, um, so there's willingness. Um, and then there's couples where one person isn't really on board. Um, one person can change a marriage. It's just, it's harder. It just requires them to have uh, a, a willingness to kind of do things at home a little bit differently because they're not coming in here, right? So for instance, if only one person came in, I would say, look, try some of these activities at home and see if your partner is willing to do those. You know, you don't have to have an hour session in order to make progress. You can have a, a five-minute check-in, or you can do a couple of these different family uh, or coupleship games that can help create closeness. So, but there has to be willingness, even if somebody doesn't want to come here. So, so that's, you know, that, that's one of the big things. And then, you know, in terms of how long this might take, um, I, you know, when, when couples 
are really motivated to get close and ready to reinvent their relationship, you can make change in, in really just a couple of sessions, right? Because right. if you're really aware of, of where you're stuck and the patterns that you're in and are, are willing to break it, you can start getting to a better place really quickly. It's people who hang on to old patterns and say, well, I'll, I'll work on yeah. it, but I'm not going to give up my opposite sex friends or I'm not going to give up my drinking, you know, <laughs> or uh, I'm still going to yell. So don't make me not be a man. I have to yell. <laughs> it's like, well, <laughs> you got to relinquish some things. So it really has to do with whether people stay conscious of the things they want to change outside of here. So I would say as little as two or three sessions or as long as years, if people have a lot of you know, layers to unpack from their past that, you know, if they have some PTSD or, you know, or things that go back that are really painful, you know, to, to talk about. So, you know, I'm sure you, you know, you know, there's a lot of issues, you know, whether people um, were abused or, or violated in some way, or, you know, people who were in the military and have trauma, there's a whole host of forms of PTSD. And, and that takes longer to work through, you know, and I cannot fix that with a couple of therapy sessions. So, yeah. yeah, what's 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 been the biggest challenge for you in in terms of your work and then working with relationships? Yeah, so I, I would say trying to get men in the door, right? right. Because okay. you know, a lot of times I get called by the yeah. women and they say, My my husband's not coming. He just refuses right. to come. And I say, All right, well, is he willing to talk with me at least? You know, just to have a conversation. And those men who are willing to talk, I'm usually able to get them to come in, not by trying to trap them, not by trying to, you know, get them to sign up for a year long of, that's not the idea. It, you know, I tell clients that the goal of counseling or therapy is to stop coming here, right? <laughs> so I, I really want men to know that I just, I just want to help them problem solve a little bit better, give them a few tools and really get them on their way. So trying to get them to come in and then trying to get them to, to really create more of a space to listen to what each other is really saying. Because if you don't listen to each other, it doesn't matter what I say. They, they need to listen to each other, yeah. right? So I, I try to create a forum where I'm really kind of forcing them to be more present with each other so that they're not just listening to me, but instead they're listening to each other, which is what really matters. And so that, do you find that um, those guys that, you know, men – that don't, that refuse to come in with, with their partners, that, do you find that you intend to work better with them on a one-on-one -on -one basis and that before they actually break the barrier down and end up coming yeah. together in that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, um, you know, if, if men feel a little intimidated by the process, I, I will suggest, hey, why don't you come in for a session or two, see how it goes, you know? I always tell men that if you don't think we're the right fit, you feel free to fire me, you know, because yeah. not, not just because I'm confident in what I do, but more because you have that right. You don't have to stay with somebody you're not comfortable with. I, you know, when I got into this field, I went through six different people until I'm like, oh, I got the right guy here. You know, So, <laughs> so I, I think you, you, you want men to come in and be able to share things that they can say, I do know how to bring this up with my wife I, I you know I, I don't know whether this will create more conflict or whether this is a good idea so those individual sessions with, with men are gold you know they, they, they tend to be you know really valuable in setting the tone for how it could go so it's a great point so not just uh, obviously uh, with yourself and then not just as a relationship expert and that you also stand up comedy so how does that <laughs> how, how does that roll into to, to, yeah. to your work that, that, that you right. do 
yeah, it's, it's an odd mix, I, I, I admit. <laughs> um, you know, I've always, uh, you know, when I go back to high school, I, I never dated in high school, not because I wasn't interested in girls, but because I wasn't interested in drama, you know, and I was really into, into sports and stuff. So I just didn't want to deal with that. So even back then, I found that um, my sense of humor um, was very similar to my close friends who were really funny guys, you know, and, and I remember thinking, wow, wouldn't it be cool to make a living by making people laugh? Like, is that even possible? And, and, and I knew that realistically to do that, you'd have to live this like really odd life where you just, you know, go into clubs every night. And, and so I'm like, I'm not going to do that. You know, that's, that's too big of a sacrifice given that I'm involved in baseball, which was, you know, my thing in college. Um, but I did start to mess around with some open mics a little bit. And then, um, you know, when I, when I realized um, once I was having my first child that uh, I, should, I should probably put this little comedy, you know, thing to rest, um, I, I didn't realize that years later that my kids would make up some of my best comic bits. So, so I started to, started to get back into it about four or five years ago because I found that it was really fun making fun of them. <laughs> and so I, I've, uh, you know, I, I mostly do you know, clean comedy, which you know, it isn't for everyone, but I find that it's more of a challenge to, to not be uh, kind of dirty. You know? it, 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 I like the challenge of being more like Seinfeld and Jim Gaffigan and Brian Regan, these guys that don't, don't talk with a lot of foul language. And my kids are watching, so <laughs> I have to be more cautious. So, so you know, I, I think I use my comedy as a way of uh, my own little therapy, you know, kind of takes yeah. care of me. And then I also use it as a way to help clients um, learn how to just kind of be lighter in their ability to work with each other. You know, it's not supposed to be so intense. You know, I tell clients all the time, we're, we're not supposed to work so hard in our marriage. We're supposed to work lighter. And I have a, a brand that I've been developing called Love Lighter. And, yeah. and that's what it's all about, using humor. And, you know, not to be sarcastic and make fun of each other, but, but, but more to just soften difficult talking points and don't lose your playful spirit. You know, it's re really important. So, so I, I goof around from time to time. I'm not a paid comic. I'm not that good. <laughs> but, uh, but I enjoy it. I still go on stage, you know, once a month or so. So it's fun. Yeah, so along your, uh, your, your, your banner or, you know, with the love lighter in there, what is, what is love to you? What, what does it mean to you? Uh, wow, man. The, the definition changes so much as you get older and you become wiser and, <laughs> and, and you realize that uh, the love that, that we thought we experienced when we were younger was, you know, kind of more of a selfish love, you know, of just what do I want, you know, and if I get what I want, then I must be in love. And, and as I've gotten older, uh, you still with me? Yeah, I can still hear you. I haven't yeah, got you okay. on, on the camera, but you yeah, can keep going. Okay. Yep. Um, as, as I've gotten older, I've become aware that to, to really love somebody unconditionally, you, you have to have full acceptance, which doesn't mean we have to like everything about our partner, but we have to accept them who they are. Because in order for us to get to a higher level of love with the person that we truly care about, we, we have to appreciate their baggage. You know, we have to appreciate the, the issues that they're working through and, and not just our own, you know, because when we yeah, I use the gardening metaphor, feed and weed. You got, you know, you got to feed your relationship and weed your past. And, and yeah. when you realize that they're doing that too, um, you can kind of be lighter in, in your anger with your partner because you realize they're just working on themselves and it may be interfering with your temporary happiness, but um, 
we're, we're going to make things either a little better or a little worse for our partner every day of our lives, right? And, and I want to know yeah. that I'm not making it worse each day. So, you know, you, you need to have a short-term memory, right? You have to learn how to play tug-of-war on the same side of the rope, which means you and your wife versus right. the problem, not you here, your wife here, and the problem in the middle because yeah. that old-school design, you have to overcome each other first before you can even solve your problem, Right. Um, and I think you, you have to really um, recognize that not every problem has a solution. In fact, most problems, right. we just have to live with the tension and, and not think that we can solve every problem. We have to be okay with that which we can't solve. So it's a lot of acceptance. It's a lot of, you know, using some humor to lighten the mood and then realizing that if you don't feel like teammates, then you don't have a process. You, you have to work as a we, not as what I want and what I want, but what do we need to reboot, right? It's a totally different dialogue, so. Yeah, um, I think that's a great, I think that's a great light that you've just brought up there about in terms of, I think, in my, my own experience, I think I'm always trying to look for a solution and yet, mm -hmm. you know, you've just touched on there something that's uh, pretty much uh, given me a little bit of a, light bulb moment and that's understand that actually mm. that there isn't that there doesn't have to be always an answer unfortunately there isn't always an answer in that yeah um, yeah yeah no nah, thanks yeah. That, that, that was a yeah. that was a gem definitely yeah some some of my best conversations with my wife are when i just shut up you know <laughs> and when i say that i really mean just just listening just holding that space and i'll have said almost nothing and then we'll end the conversation and she'll say wow that was really great thank you and i'm like what did I do? <laughs> I don't feel like I did anything. And she said, you were such a great listener and I feel better. So we have to trust that listening is an intervention and it's yeah. a really good one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You touched on a couple of books and that, um, that you mentioned that is there any one mm -hmm. book in particular that's kind of like really, um, had an impact on yourself and then your life or something that's just kind of stood out for you with a yeah. message. Yeah. So yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's several, but um, one that always comes to the top of my mind is Man's Search for Meaning by Victor Frankl. Yeah. Um, and have you read that? So, yeah. yeah, such a great, but I haven't read, but I've listened to it, the audio and then such mm -hmm. a, I've listened to it a couple of times and it, it always, it always gets me right in the heart there. It's yeah. Such a, you know, a powerful, powerful book. Yeah. I, I think when you look at, um, uh, most people's problems that we we come in contact with each day they're they're first world problems right they're yeah. they're, they're they're good yeah. problems they're problems that we want yeah right? you know so you know we're not fighting for shelter clothing you know where we have problems that other people wish they had and yeah. by being aware of that it's a reminder that man we actually don't want these problems to go away because these problems mean we have a life yeah right yeah. so you know, I, when you look at his situation and kind of navigating through the Holocaust with a lot of his comrades, you know, committing suicide, if he can find meaning in that, how can we not find meaning in our little problems, you know? And I get it. Everybody's issues are relative, you know, and some people have much deeper, you know, or, or health-related issues that are chronic and scary, and I, and I can appreciate that. But but we have to find the value in pain. You know, pain is 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 kind of this... Uh, strange gift that's disguised as, as only bad when in actuality people's pain is often the very thing that helps them become a better person uh, and a better partner and, and and sort of value life even more. You know, my divorce didn't just beat me up. It helped me appreciate how important life is. It helped me appreciate uh, 
how much I want my kids to understand about their own psychology and their own relationships so that they don't go down the road that I went down, which was really painful. So we have to look at our pain in our life and, and turn it into something that really benefits us and, you know, frankly, others. So. Ah, oh, it's a powerful yeah. answer. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah. Right, uh, as we come towards the end, and that, what's the, what's, what would you say is the one thing that's meaningful for you in your life right now? Uh, well, I'm a person of faith. So, I, you know, right. I can say that, um, you know, I, I tried to put aside faith for years. There were issues that I had with the church that really frustrated me. Um, you know, a longer story to share some of those things. But I, I kind of put faith on the shelf for about a decade. I was pretty angry at the idea of God. I thought it was ridiculous and, and didn't buy into any of it. Um, and when I um, was on my way to work one day, I had a, a really powerful experience that, that really was the beginning of rebooting my faith journey. And I was having this incredible back pain and I was coming to work in the morning and up in the sky, I saw a, a picture of a perfect cross in a cloud. And wow. I was like, and not only seeing that, but my back pain going away instantly when I saw that. Um, and then I started to have, you know, several other signs and then I'm like, all right, all right, all right, I'll pay attention. <laughs> so, so I started to pay attention and I realized that as I was letting go of my grip on the world and my grip on my ex and my desire to control things, I was feeling more liberated and more free. So despite all my psychology background, my faith journey has really helped me, um, immensely in ways that are hard for people to care about because we're kind of living in a post-religious or post you know, religious world for, for so many people. I, I think a lot of people are not interested in that, but uh, no. I've found, I've found that, um, that you can intellectualize faith in ways that I think I didn't understand. I, I didn't realize you could have intellectual conversations about faith. I thought it was like, you just either prayed or you didn't. You know? <laughs> and that it was just this, you know, flaky thing. And I've, uh, I've come to appreciate really intelligent people that believe in what I do. So that's helped me quite a bit. Ah, it's brilliant. As we uh, come to close this episode out, Brian, if you look back on your experience, and it's not necessarily about your, uh, your marriage, uh, your first marriage mm -hmm. and that, it could be anything. It's just totally up to you. And that, what would be the, the one piece of advice that you would give yourself? To give myself, like my younger self? Yeah, or your younger self. Right now? Yeah. Oh, man, you know, there, there was so much advice I could have used when I was younger. I think it would be to learn how to, to question social norms, because just right. because something might be uh, normal in society doesn't mean it's good for you. You know, we, we live in a culture that has fast food everywhere, and yet the obesity rate is off the chart. You know, we live in a culture where, uh, you know, kids prefer to be indoors and playing video games more than outside and with each other. And we have the highest depression rates we've ever had. You know, there are social norms that are in place that aren't designed for our well-being. So I would challenge young people to really think about how do the social norms that exist in whatever country you live in uh, conflict with the values that you have so that you can kind of gently push back at them and stay true to the righteous way of living, you know, that, that either your parents help you forge or, or that you just know to be true because, you know, certain things are not right. So, yeah, this man, there's a lot of advice I would have given myself. <laughs> that's a great, that's a great words of wisdom, Brian, you know, thanks. Now it's uh, obviously we'll come to the end of this uh, episode and I just can't thank you enough and appreciate the work that you do, especially in terms of trying to offer your services to help 
keep relationships together and trying to obviously reboot them and then rekindle them and trying mm-hmm. to find true love within their own relationships. And that, mm-hmm. I think, you know, just listening to your story, you know, and your own experiences and that, you know, you can't find uh, therapists that uh, in that kind of role and that who really understand that. And, and, you know, I take my hat off to you for the work that you're doing that and, you know, continue to, uh, that the big man upstairs bless you with your work that you're doing and hopefully uh you know that with the relationships with the couples that you work with and that, that they will always continue to rekindle that and if not hopefully things will always work out for the better of uh both individuals and as well as the families that are involved in that so mm. i commend the work that you're doing that and appreciate thank you again for 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 just taking you know just half an hour or some time of your, you know, your busy schedule and that just to be on here with us and just to share your insight. Um, I appreciate, as it. An appreciate it. And obviously from your own personal experience and that. So thanks again. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. You know, it's, it's always, it's always a, a challenge to, to think about what it is that we experienced and then how do you put that into words, right? Because each one of us has, has a story and yet, you know, there's always this fear of how will people experience what we're trying to convey. And, and it's not always gonna line up, but the, but the hope is that you know, if, if a couple of people will start to see the idea of counseling as, as a good thing and as a preventative measure, so that they're not waiting for their marriage to be in crisis, but instead you're trying to prevent a crisis, then, then my job is, uh, is well spent doing what I'm doing. So I really appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. No, thanks for, for, for being on here with us, Brian. Yeah, you take care and we'll definitely be catching up again in the near future. Okay, appreciate it. Take care. You too. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Brian Remo as much as I did chatting with him. He shared some valuable lessons from his own relationships, which has helped him to connect with his clients on a more human level. Self-reflection can allow us to highlight areas that we need to continue working on to be a better person and to be a better partner. Relationships is a teamwork which require patience, trust, being good listeners and more. There's always room for improvement. We just have to be willing. If you really like this episode, then please do one more thing. Leave a rating, give it a like and share this episode with those who can really use it to rekindle their flame. I truly appreciate your time and I will see you on the next phase.
Joe shares a story of struggles from his upbringing, the environment he grew up in and the people he was surrounded with. And no matter how many times he was helped to escape it, he was always reminded of it by the drink. He finally got the help he needed and supported by a beautiful and strong woman by his side, Joe refused to be part of the statistics and he didn't want to see more struggle like he did too. And that was the birth of the Mindset Project. If you really enjoyed this episode, then please do one more thing. Leave a rating, give it a like, and share this episode with someone who can use it. I truly appreciate your time, and I will see you on the next phase.